welcome everyone to another fantastic episode of Fraternity. Your one stop for celebrating horror of all kinds. I'm your host, your little brother Danny, and I'm here with my big brother Sean. Do a podcast, Franklin. It'll be fun. If I have any more fun today, I don't think I'm going to be able to take it. <laughs> We're back. So, Danny, we've got Woodsboro in the rearview mirror, and I do believe the smell of barbecue is in the air. That's exactly right. And we're heading down south, where I was born, the good old state of Texas. Now, Danny, why would we go to Texas? Well, Sean, I think for a massacre, right? What kind of a massacre? One of the chainsaw variety, if I were to guess. So it sounds to me like we're going to have ourselves a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Am I right? You're absolutely right. The legendary film. It's about time. Yeah, I agree. You know, we made our return last week, and it just so happened to coincide with the release of Scream 5. So we decided to do Scream for our premiere. But I wanted to keep that ball rolling, keep the heavy hitters coming, throw another banger at y'all. Not to say that they all aren't going to be bangers, but... We're dealing with the Texas Chainsaw Some Massacre here. bang a little bit less than others bang. Some are big bangs, some are small <laughs> bangs, but they're all bangs, okay? Exactly. Surely you've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right, Danny? Yes, I have seen it. I watched it when we were still living together with our parents. I don't remember why exactly I watched it. I think I was just, you know, we've talked about how you would show me horror movies and kind of give me my pickings for what you wanted to watch and what we were going to watch for that night. But I think curiosity got the best of me. And I, one night I was just like, I'm going to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I know it's a legendary film. I know it's uh, looked upon so greatly in the horror community. And I sat down, and I watched it. And that was that. Very cool. Of all the horror films I've watched in my life, of all the films I've seen in general, I don't think any film has sat at the top of my favorite films list for as long as Texas Chainsaw Massacre has. This is without a doubt one of my all-time favorite films. I couldn't have been but 10 or 11 at the time, but for the first time, I got a VCR in my own room. And to celebrate the occasion, we went out to rent some movies, and I picked Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist. I had seen these movies on the shelves many, many times, but had yet to take the plunge on either of them. I said last week that Scream felt like it was made for me at the time, and being born and raised in Texas, this was another one of those films that felt like it was made for me. This was a Texas horror film. It was perfect. It wasn't the perfect way to christen a VCR in your own bedroom at that age, <laughs> because you better believe I did not sleep in my room that night. I did love this movie, though, during the day. <laughs> I wore that tape out. Like many people, it became an obsession of mine. I have owned this film on so many formats, so many different releases. I've consumed so much information. I even rented the documentary The Saw is Family back then, and it was probably my first documentary. T-shirts, posters, 
toys, Halloween masks, you name it, I've got it or I've had it. You got me a Texas Chainsaw Massacre poster not that long ago, actually. Yeah, so your love is still strong for that film to this day. Definitely. I'm even wearing one of my Texas Chainsaw Massacre shirts right now in honor of this occasion. And with that love, it's a bit sad for me to admit, but I've literally seen this movie so many times that I've burnt myself out on it on more than a few occasions. I know it's scene for scene, line for line. I don't even have to watch it. It's on a constant loop in my head. You know, it's funny because I barely watched the movie while doing my notes for the podcast. And what I did was I would write my notes up to a certain point and then I'd press play on the movie and watch it just to make sure there was nothing else I wanted to add. But I pretty much had it all ready to go. (laughs) Now, I don't want to discuss the franchise as a whole. I'd rather save my opinions of those other films for another episode. But as much as I'm going to enjoy doing this episode, I kind of want to get this one out so that we can get to the rest of the films that much sooner. This is another one of those films that has been talked to death. So discussing the sequels and remakes will be where the real fun is going to be had. I will say that it's an imperfect franchise. It's hard to argue that fact. You've got sequels, remakes, sequels that play out like remakes, prequels, re-prequels, you name it, this damn series has done it. And I do find that I enjoy it more often than I don't. So that's what I'll say about that right now. But tonight, we're here to talk about the original. I think it's a masterpiece, and I can't wait to discuss it and hear what you think about it. Awesome. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, I think it's hard for us to come at a film that's so legendary like this. Or another example would be Halloween. It's kind of, we discuss this a lot. It's like, what do we have to offer? But I think just offering our opinions and just talking through the movie is just enough. You know, we're not here to talk to you about behind the scenes and why it's so legendary. We just want to talk about why we like it. And I just think it's so funny because as a kid, you know, everyone has that movie that they just rewatch and rewatch. And for a lot of kids, I think it was like Disney movies and they would like, know it line for line and i just think it's hilarious that yours just happens to be texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) because you watched it from such a young age (laughs) it's like that's sean that's uh that perfectly encapsulates the type of person you are (laughs) i wear it as a badge of honor so and yeah like i said i'm sure everyone's heard so much about this film but we're gonna give it to you the fraternity way so get out your head cheese and let's do this thing but before we get started, I just wanted to say you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. You can follow us, message us, DM us, send us a tweet, anything you like. We'd love to hear from you. If you follow us on Twitter, you can keep up to date with everything we're doing. We have an email. It's Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. You can send us an email, questions, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you and we'll respond. And we have a YouTube channel. If you go over to YouTube, in the search bar, you type in Fraternity, our channel is going to show up. We're uploading previous episodes of the show over there on YouTube with a little bit of a visual twist. So you're just going to have to go over there, see what I'm talking about, hit subscribe, give us some likes, and yeah, keep up to date with everything Fraternity is doing by following us on all social media platforms. Awesome. 
So before we hop into the movie, I thought we could discuss what subgenre this film belongs in. Okay. Because in our Halloween special, we heaped a lot of praise on John Carpenter's original Halloween. And I'm not saying that Halloween isn't a great horror film in general, but a lot of praise that that film receives is in the realm of the slasher. Texas Chainsaw Massacre predates Halloween by quite a few years. Once we entered the franchise territory with Leatherface, the film started to get lumped in with the slasher genre. But the more I think about it, the more I feel that it doesn't apply to this film. You could say it's a cannibal film, but that sells it short, if you ask me. It really kind of defies genre classification, and is really just an excellent horror film. And honestly, I don't think you can heap a higher praise on it than that. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. It is hard to define, and there are cannibal aspects to the movie, but I don't think it's the centerpiece of the movie at all, really. Yeah, it's almost like a true horror movie at its core, you know? It's just, it's a horrific event. Everything you're seeing on screen is, you know, if I had one word to describe the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it would be unease. There's just this unease about everything in the film, and it just makes you uncomfortable, and it's really good at doing that. And so, yeah, I really don't know what kind of subgenre I could even classify it as, because, yeah, I don't think it's a slasher either. Yeah, it's, it's really tough to say. Cool. We open with the John Larroquette narrated, this shit really happened crawl. What are your thoughts on the crawl? And how much do you think the film benefits from it? I enjoy it. It definitely, you know, this, this isn't fooling anyone. You know, this crawl here. No one actually thinks this like is based on true events or really happened. But there's just something about it opening that way that is so unique and interesting that you're just along for the ride and the narration is creepy and it's just it just sets it up so perfectly for the events that are going to happen here i really like it i think it's great it's great how everything is designed to unsettle the viewer in this intro even the credits with the infrared shots of the sun and the deranged ambient soundtrack I think you said it perfectly when you used the word unease, because everything does just make you as the viewer as uneasy as possible. Yeah, if this movie has any goal in mind, it would be to make you uneasy and kind of squirm in your seat at what you're seeing. This is going to get a lot worse before it gets any better, and who knows if it even gets better in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Before we see the credits, we get the amazing intro where we can overhear some graveyard shenanigans, and then we get the famous camera flash scene with glimpses of various parts of a rotting corpse. We then see this macabre work of art where a rotting cadaver has been wired to a large tombstone. Do you want to describe this thing? Um, it's like, yeah, two corpses, like, together, and one of them has, like, its arms out right like in a t-pose kind of way (laughs) yeah you've got like some weird head and arms but then you've got like just the full bodied one wrapped around it's just a really amazing and unsettling image in truth though by the time the credits roll on this film we're going to have seen so much more crazy shit that this scene gets a little lost i don't know i really like this intro and just the slow build with the camera flashes and you see these rotting corpses 
And there's something about these corpses that still like feels it. Just, they just look real to me. They look unsettling. And I made the mistake of eating lunch while watching this film, and it kind of made it hard to put my lunch down, I won't lie. I kind of lost my appetite, so I think these corpses uh, really hold up the test of time. I agree 100%, and I love it too. I'm just saying, I don't think anyone walks out of this movie going, man, that corpse at the beginning, though, that was crazy. There's just so much more on your mind by the end of this film that I don't think this scene gets all the credit it deserves for just setting the tone right out of the gate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we want to appreciate the lesser known scenes here, maybe. And that's a big reason why we kind of walk through the film. A lot of reviews, whatever, kind of tend to coast through and kind of talk about the big moments in film. But, you know, me and Sean, we really want to put a spotlight on the stuff that you normally might not think about. Like you said, you know. There a lot of crazy shit happens in this film, and by the end, yeah, you aren't thinking about this intro, but I do think it's a really effective intro. Yeah, but now it's time to meet the meat. <laughs> <laughs> we get this extended scene in a van, and we have our female lead, Sally. Her boyfriend, Jerry, is driving the van. They're accompanied by their friends, Kirk and Pam, who are a young couple. And last but surely not least... We have Sally's invalid brother, Franklin. And as we're going to see here, this film could have been called Franklin's Really Bad No Good Day (laughs) because his starts off with helplessly rolling down an embankment while trying to piss in a can on the side of the road. (laughs) Yeah, uh, this 18-wheeler drives by while Franklin's trying to piss and I guess it scares him and he ends up tumbling down this hill. It's not funny, it's quite sad, but it also is funny at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably the second best out-of-control wheelchair scene right behind Mac and me. (laughs) Nothing can top Mac and me. I mean, no. we're going to have to cover that film one day, I think. (laughs) Let us know if you want us to cover Mac and me. (laughs) (laughs) Fraternity at gmail.com So during the intro... We heard a news report about the authorities discovering this grisly work of art in the graveyard. Not only that, but they've discovered multiple graves that have been looted and robbed, and that relatives of the deceased are descending upon the area to make sure their loved ones have not been tampered with. It's the top news story of the day, although the tale of a young man jumping from his 10-story apartment window due to his frustration with a local sports blackout is a very close second. Did you catch that? Not really. It's uh, Even with the subtitles on, there's a lot going on with this uh, radio broadcast. Yeah. The good old days of sports blackouts and suicide. <laughs> but I digress. So Sally, Franklin, and the rest of the gang are heading to that graveyard to make sure that their granddaddy hasn't been dug up. After checking things out, they're quickly back on the road. We get our first taste of relentless franklin bitching (laughs) it's just so hot i could just die (laughs) this heat is driving me insane (laughs) we learned that pam is super into horoscopes and astrology and after they pass the stench of the old slaughterhouse we get an extended discussion on cattle slaughter What this discussion needs is an expert, though. 
And when you know it, the group comes up on a hitchhiker and decide to pick him up. Because Franklin's boom 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 just ain't cutting it. Pam's like, Franklin, stop, please. Like, we get it. <laughs> He's so excited about this air gun. Sally's like, Franklin, I like meat, but would you change the subject? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they see this hitchhiker and they wonder if they should pick him up, which they all agree they should because it's sweltering out there in this Texas heat. Except Pam, she's like, oh no, he's weird looking. (laughs) (laughs) And I really love this shot as it's like a wide shot as the van slows down and we see the hitchhiker just running up to the van all wild. (laughs) In the history of poor decisions in horror films, this has to be near the top though, right? (laughs) Oh yeah, this was a really bad idea. Yeah, it doesn't take but a matter of seconds before realizing this dude is fucking nuts. Yeah, let's just let's describe the uh, the hitchhiker here, because I've always liked the way he looked. You know, he's got this kind of shoulder length hair. He's got this gnarly scar on his face. Scar or birthmark or whatever the hell that is. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, what is that on his face? (laughs) (laughs) Greasy ass hair. But I probably shouldn't say this. But I knew someone who always reminded me of the hitchhiker. Like, they had a very similar build. He was tall. He had the same kind of hair. He was missing that birthmark. But every time I saw him, I was just like, man, you're the fucking hitchhiker, dude. But I would never say that to his face because they were like, you know, completely opposites. This dude was like an intellectual. (laughs) But it was always uh, (laughs) funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's not one you want to say to a friend. Like, you look like the hitchhiker from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) And then they go watch it. They're like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd rather keep that one to myself. Keep it close to the chest. (laughs) Yeah, this dude just looks like trouble. He has these oddball mannerisms. You do not want this man in the back of your van. (laughs) So we get more Slaughterhouse discussion. The hitchhiker shows off some pictures of a cow he claims to have killed. Then we get the head cheese discussion, where the hitchhiker explains what goes into making some fine, delicious head cheese. Yeah, they gotta use all the parts of the animal. (laughs) They don't let nothing go to waste. They don't throw nothing away. They take the jowls (laughs) and the tendons and the eyeballs. They boil it down (laughs) to a big jelly of fat. You like it? Yeah, I like it. It's good. (laughs) Vegan Pam. Shuts all this animal slaughter talk down. And then the hitchhiker notices Franklin playing with a pocket knife. Yeah, the hitchhiker sees this knife and is just basically enamored by it and just grabs it out of Franklin's hand. And he's staring at this knife. And then he takes the knife and cuts this gash into his palm. And the group is just horrified at what they're seeing. But the hitchhiker's just sitting there joyously laughing at what he's just done with his palm now bleeding (laughs) (laughs) yeah franklin is shook by this as kirk gets the hitchhiker to return the knife to him and i just love kirk in this scene trying to hold everything together as the situation just devolves like the hitchhiker pulls his own knife out he's like i have this knife he's like that's great man it's a good knife (laughs) i'm sure it is (laughs) put it away (laughs) (laughs) tensions calm briefly 
before the hitchhiker takes his camera out and snaps a picture of Franklin. And then he tries to swindle two dollars off of him. And when Kirk puts his foot down, it's a nice picture. You could pay me now. <laughs> That'll be two dollars. <laughs> it's, it's a good picture. <laughs> yeah. Kirk puts his foot down and the hitchhiker sets the picture on fire and everyone in the van freaks out. And in all of the commotion, the hitchhiker grabs Franklin, pulls his knife out and slices his arm. They manage to kick the hitchhiker out of the van and he chases them as they pull off, blowing raspberries at Franklin while smearing his blood on the side of the van. This movie has an abundance of raspberries. <laughs> yeah, he's kicking the van too while he's smearing the blood all over it and taunting like Franklin. Like he's looking right at Franklin and yeah, blowing the raspberries at him. Yeah, and then this fantastic scene ends with Jerry proclaiming, That's the last goddamn hitchhiker I ever pick up. <laughs> Wise choice, I think. Fantastic scene. This may have killed hitchhiking in America, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Wouldn't doubt it. After Pam reads Franklin and Sally their foreboding horoscopes, we end up at the gas station. And can we discuss this gas station attendant for a second? Some dude with no shoelaces or a brain because we watch as he just stares directly into the sun. He really makes <laughs> the scene for me, though. Yeah, he's just weird enough that you're just off put, but he's not like crazy or wild. He's just like, why is this dude just staring straight at the sun? <laughs> and then he rolls his bucket over to the van and he slops the towel on with soap and starts cleaning the windshield. <laughs> Yeah, he's following the cook all lap doggishly to and fro to clean the van as the cook tells Kirk and Jerry that he doesn't have any gas. Franklin then inquires about the old Franklin place and we watch the cook do everything he can to dissuade the kids from going to the house. Those things is dangerous. You're liable to get hurt. You don't want to go messing around other folks' property. And when all hope is lost, he even uses the girls, saying, those girls, they don't want to go poking around no old house. Stay here and get some barbecue. <laughs> those warnings fall on deaf ears, though, because we are off to the old Franklin house. And Franklin, still obsessing over the hitchhiker incident, wants to see the smear of blood that Sally noticed on the van at the gas station. He's like, hey, I want to see that smear that got made. <laughs> <laughs> While he's chowing on the nastiest piece of barbecue I've ever seen. <laughs> Ugh, I hate when he's eating a barbecue in the van. You can hear it crunching. Ugh, like, the, the like, yeah, the snap of it. <laughs> is he eating human barbecue here? He, he kind of gives it a look. <laughs> he does give it a look. He's like, something's off with this barbecue, but he eats it anyway. <laughs> Franklin likes to eat. <laughs> that boy don't miss no meals. <laughs> All the other kids head inside the old house and we get to watch Franklin throw a bitch fit as he is unable to maneuver around this house very well. It's quite inconvenient and we even get more raspberries, but from Franklin. He's mocking them as they're all having fun and Franklin's just, just so bitter. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be It'll a fun, be fun trip. <laughs> if I have any more fun today, I don't think I'm going to be able to take it. <laughs> I rehearsed that line, so that's why I'm giving it to you twice. 
it's a great line. It deserves uh, the spotlight. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone hates on Franklin, but I love Franklin. I'm just going to say it. I'm a Franklin sympathizer. I, uh, I like Franklin, but he can be a bit much. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a douche. <laughs> He, but he is having a bad day. <laughs> he's rolled down a hill. He's covered in piss. He got stabbed by a hitchhiker. <laughs> <laughs> we do get this bit where Kirk wanders into a room and notices a giant nest of daddy long legs in the upper corner of the room. Really gross. And I'll tell you a personal Ugh. story. One time I went to some friend's house and this was when I was like five. But the other kids all wanted to pitch this tent and play in it in the backyard. This tent was pretty funky. It had probably been rotting in their garage. But we got in the tent and played around in there for what seemed like a hot minute. And then we noticed a giant nest of daddy long legs, just like in the movie, all balled up and crawling over each other in one of the top corners of the tent. And we ran for our lives. <laughs> and that oh memory still grosses me out to this day. Oh, I can't even imagine. That's just disgusting. I, can't, I cannot handle spiders. Some people like spiders. They say, oh, they get rid of, they get rid of bugs and all this and that. No, I, if I see a spider, like, it ruins my day. <laughs> you even get that audio of them like crawling about. Ugh. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's horrifying. <laughs> After a while, Pam and Kirk come back downstairs and run into Franklin, who is in his emo ninny phase at the bottom of the stairs. All he's missing is some eyeliner because he's even got the hair pulled down. He's looking like one of the goth kids now. <laughs> so Franklin had told him earlier about a nearby creek and Pam and Kirk want to go swimming. So they leave and Franklin spots this morbid animal carcass artwork in one of the nearby rooms and he goes to call out for sally but as he tilts his head up he ends up noticing like a bone wind chime hanging there so we know something isn't right <laughs> right right yeah this is the first of many uh bone sculptures i guess the uh cadavers in the beginning might count but uh yeah these bones are not a good sign Pam and Kirk make their way to the old swimming hole and find nothing but dirt. But Kirk notices a nearby farmhouse and the sound of a running generator. He decides to head that way with Pam to see if he can maybe barter for some gas. Pam thinks this is a bad idea and they should just go. And I gotta say, I'm with Pam on this one. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be? <laughs> Apparently Kirk. <laughs> They make their way around the house and Kirk bangs on the door as Pam sits on the porch steps and Kirk ends up finding a human tooth. And this is when you leave, right? <laughs> yeah, usually, but uh, Kirk is uh, making his way. He's going to make his way into this house one way or the other. He needs that gasoline, Sean. <laughs> yeah, and he plays a prank on Pam and puts the tooth in her hand. And she's beyond annoyed at all this. She just wanted to go swimming, man. So she goes and sits on a bench in the yard. And Kirk continues to bang on the door and holler for anyone. And the door eventually gets pushed open. And Kirk looks in through the screen door. He continues to call out. And then we start to hear, like, pig sounds in the distance. Yeah, the sounds of a pig squealing. Yeah, he enters the home and walks towards an open doorway. 
but he trips on this ramp, and as he stumbles, we come face to face with Leatherface himself. So what were your first thoughts on seeing Leatherface? I just love that he just pops from around the corner and just whacks Kirk in the face with the sledgehammer. And then Kirk is writhing and convulsing, much like, you know, they talk about the cattle earlier and how, you know, they took more than one hit with the sledgehammer. And here's Kirk getting finished off just like a cow would be. And then Leatherface hits him again. And it's just such a brutal scene. It's so quick. You know, I really love in horror when it's just like in your face because I think sometimes some jump scares or scenes can just drag on for what feels like forever. And you know it's coming. You know the jump is coming. But here it's just, you know, five seconds. And it's like, holy shit, like out of nowhere, Leatherface is fucking scary and like towering. And he's got this mask on. It's great. It, uh, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's scary. And it works so well. Yeah, we even get the classic bit where Leatherface drags Kirk's body the rest of the way into this room and just slams that metal door shut. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> that metal door slamming. And then it transitions into these like droning synthesizers. It's like, oh, yeah. Something fucked up is going on at this household. And meanwhile, Pam is left outside waiting for Kirk. And she's calling out to him before deciding to venture inside the house herself. And I really love this bit where we know what is waiting for her inside that house, but she has no idea. Right, yeah. It's uh, it's just such a good setup. It's like everybody keeps wandering into this house and everybody's experience is going to be a little different. but. It all ends the same here. (laughs) Yeah, we get this beautiful tracking shot that follows Pam as she walks toward the house. The editing in this film is fantastic, but there's some truly beautiful cinematography to go along with it. Absolutely. When Pam enters the house, she enters into this side room and stumbles to the floor And it doesn't take long before she notices the absolutely horrific scene she has stumbled upon. And you just know you're going to (laughs) die. There's a chicken in a cage, for Christ's sake. There's a broken turtle shell just hanging from the ceiling. You could say Pam is in the bone zone. (laughs) But the centerpiece of it all, Sean, is that bench that's just adorned with a bunch of bones. Well, I did want to ask... If you could have one prop from the house, what would it be? And it doesn't have to be from this scene. Um, I'd probably go with the bench. I, I, I love the, the ominous look to it. It's just uh, really well done. What would you say? What would you take? Uh, there's a very blinking you miss it item in this room. And it's like a table lamp that has had a human arm wrapped around it. <laughs> and the skull. Flesh is just rotted. It's like black, but it's like an arm (laughs) lamp. And I was like, that's so fucking weird. Like, I like the weird shit. Like, the other thing I would want is that piece of wood on the dinner table with the chicken legs and chicken head. (laughs) That's good. I like that skull with like the the horn through the mouth. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. And there are a lot of human skulls in this room, which speaks to how many people have maybe met 
their fate here? Quite a few people have wandered into this house and not made it out. So Pam eventually gets back to her feet after dry heaving. I mean, who wouldn't? And she tries to leave the house, but that sliding metal door opens and she's greeted by Leatherface, who screams and gives chase. And Pam does manage to get outside, but is scooped up by this giant man. And I mean giant. I love the shots of Leatherface carrying Pam back inside and she's so tiny and helpless. Yeah, I love that shot where she bursts out the front door for a split second and it's just like, nope, Leatherface is right there and just grabs her and pulls her back into the house. He takes her into the kitchen and we see an awaiting meat hook. And it isn't long before Leatherface turns Pam around and lifts her up in the air and just plants her on it. Oh, it's brutal just thinking about this like meat hook stuck in your back and there's just she's just struggling to try pull herself off and she just can't and she just has to watch as Leatherface gets ready to uh, carve up Kirk. Yeah, and I'm not knocking any acting here. I think her acting is great, but I'm just wondering, would you be in more pain than that, though? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. She sells it for me. And she's also in shock, so she's probably uh, feeling a little less than she should. I don't know. Maybe there's adrenaline involved. Yeah, good point. So next up on the proverbial chopping block is Sally's boyfriend, Jerry. Because we see Sally, Franklin, and Jerry standing by the van waiting for Kirk and Pam to return. And I got to say that Jerry comes off as a major douche as he picks on Franklin here. I know that Franklin is a chode of epic proportions, and being (laughs) Sally's boyfriend probably causes Jerry to have to deal with his incessant bullshit more often than most. But Jerry, my man, not a good look. In fact, your whole whole look isn't a good look. I gave him your name, address, even your zip code. He's gonna kill you. That knife won't do you any good. He likes that knife, remember? (laughs) Yeah, Jerry is coming off as quite the douche. Jerry tells Sally that He's going to go down to the creek and look for the others. And he tells her she should sit tight with Franklin. So Jerry goes on his adventure and ends up at the House of Slaughter. He bangs on the door to no avail, but he ends up noticing the towel Kirk had because it's still sitting on the porch. And then he starts to hear strange sounds and he gets this feeling like he's being pranked. And I've always liked the line where he says, hey, come on, guys, quit goofing on me. I like that line, too. I used to say that. It became a part of my uh, vocabulary for a while. I'd say, quit goofing. (laughs) Quit goofing on me. All because of Jerry. (laughs) But uh, he enters the house and goes into the kitchen, and he notices the freezer rattling. And he opens it to inspect it, and he finds a lifeless and cold-looking Pam. But she's not dead, and she springs to life and just gives Jerry quite a shock. And as he steps back, he's greeted by a sledgehammer wielding Leatherface, and after this wonderful high-pitched scream jerry takes a vicious hammer blow that knocks him right off camera and he is seen from and heard of no more but leatherface here after he kills jerry he's a bit upset right a bit uneasy himself yeah we get this wonderful leatherface freakout scene right <laughs> i think he's wondering if uh more of the teens are out there and if they're gonna come like he realizes that if he doesn't get them all, he screws up. It's going to be really bad. <laughs> I think he's just wondering, where the hell are these people coming from? <laughs> Either way, he's freaking out here. And then we get a great shot 
of uh, Leatherface kind of calms down and he licks his nasty teeth. <laughs> That's a beautiful set of hillbilly chompers right there, man. That is sexy stuff. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah, we see that Leatherface is it playing with a full deck. And I always remember showing a friend this movie when I was young, and he just did not get this movie. Especially this scene when he realized that Leatherface is kind of simple. He thought it was stupid. Well, I didn't tell him then, but I'll tell him now. (laughs) You're the stupid one, buddy. You hear me? You're fucking stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Get out of here with that bullshit. No, it's genius. I mean, you would never expect this brute of a man to end up being on the simple side of things and maybe not even really realizing what he's doing or even has this sense of right or wrong. Yeah, he's just a product of his environment. Like, what were the influences that created him? And was there anything he could do to fight it? Because he is of a simple nature. Yeah, exactly. It's it's brilliant stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. Leatherface is awesome. Definitely. So night has fallen, and Sally and Franklin are left to wonder what the hell could be going on at the van. <laughs> and they're calling out. They're given what I like to call Jerry calls. Jerry! Jerry! Hey! Hey! And they're under the assumption that everybody must be lost. And that's a reasonable assumption, right? Texas is a big state. (laughs) We get this argument over a flashlight as Sally wants to go look for the others. And when Franklin goes to honk the horn, he notices that Jerry took the keys. They took the keys. We ain't got no keys. They took the keys. (laughs) (laughs) So the two of them set out in search of their friends. And it's a daunting task, as Sally says. I can't push you down that hill. (laughs) Which is reasonable. Sally, I can't keep up with you. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you really perfected your Franklin. I guess you have had 20 years to do it. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) He just has that twang. It's just so funny. We are from Texas, too. And all of these people were Texans. That's true. But they do make their way through the darkness and through the thicket, and they notice the house in the distance, and they head towards it. But Franklin starts to hear noises around them. But we know how he likes to bitch about everything, so we're left to wonder if he's really hearing anything or not. (laughs) Right, yeah. Stop. I think I hear something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eventually they come to a stop. As Franklin suggests, he heard something and he shines the flashlight and without warning, Leatherface bursts from the darkness with the chainsaw already rolling and just cuts into poor Franklin multiple times. It's a startling (laughs) and savage kill. Yeah, again, similar when Kurt gets killed. It's just like in the blink of an eye, it all happens. There's buildup. There is buildup to these scenes, but it's not obvious. You never know when it's coming. And when it does come, it is startling. And you're like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, he's right there. Leatherface. Oh, my God. (laughs) It is the only chainsaw kill in the Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I think it should have been called the Texas Sledgehammer Massacre. (laughs) Yeah, it just doesn't have the same ring to it, right? Definitely not. So Sally bolts for the house, and 
After her attempt to get in one door fails, she runs along the side, and we get a great shot of Leatherface wielding the chainsaw, having to stop on a dime to make this directional shift as he's in hot pursuit of her. She gets in the house and shuts him out, and Leatherface has to start cutting through his own door to get back inside. Sally runs upstairs and encounters these two cadavers. One we can assume is the mother or grandmother, maybe. And the other is the not-quite-as-dead-as-he-looks grandpa, as we'll learn soon enough. So Sally starts to head back downstairs just as Leatherface bursts through the door. And I love how he recoils in fear when she screams at him. Yeah, again, it's just this little bit of humanity in Leatherface, which I really enjoy. And it's, like I said, it's just genius. Yeah, he then chases her back upstairs and we get the classic throw yourself out of a second floor window to escape the killer moment. Looks painful. I mean, she gets right back up and starts running again, so it couldn't have hurt that much. Yeah, this epic chase continues and we head back into the thicket. And we had some moments in the thicket earlier too. And this just looks so challenging and painful because we see branches getting stuck in her hair, scratching all over her. She just about knocks herself out on this big branch. And not only is it challenging for Sally, challenging for Leatherface too, because, you know, Sally can maneuver through this thicket and the branches, but Leatherface is huge. He has to cut his way through with the chainsaw. (laughs) She makes it through, though, and is able to get to the safety of the gas station just in the nick of time because there's some great shots of her with Leatherface looking... Like, he is just right on her. But, as we're gonna learn, very quickly, actually, there is no safety here, is there? Not at all. She encounters the cook from earlier, and Sally is trying to explain what happened hysterically, and she can't really get any of the right words out. But she manages to ask the cook that if he can call the police. And I love the way he delivers the line of, There's no phone here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he tells her, we got to go drive down to somewhere. And he goes to get the truck. We see Sally sitting there staring at the cooking meat. Staring at the smoked meat, which uh, may or may not contain fritters. It did resemble a torso. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather have uh, Vincent's fritters or some of this... uh, Sawyer family delicacy. I'm on a diet right now. (laughs) No meat for me. So when the cook pulls back up with his truck, he gets out, but he's got rope and a burlap bag. And Sally quickly realizes that something's off here. And she tries to fend him off, but the cook just starts beating her with a broom and ends up knocking her out. He ties her up, tosses her in the truck, and it's back to the house of slaughter we go. But the cook runs into someone we've met before on the way there, and the picture of this family begins to really take shape, doesn't it? Yeah, that's something I was thinking about, because this is the point where all these characters we've met throughout the film converge here, and it is revealed that they're all living under the same roof. This is all their house, and they're a family. And I was just wondering, like, it's obvious to us now watching it in this day and age, but... Don't you think it would have been kind of shocking to see this in the theater and be like, wow, like, I really didn't see that coming. I definitely think no one saw it coming. (laughs) But you know what I have to wonder? 
what the hell was going to happen if they accepted the hitchhiker's offer to go to dinner? <laughs> we definitely wouldn't have had all this chase <laughs> chasing around. <laughs> Leatherface wouldn't have got his steps in. Oh no, you can't have that. I like how the cook smacks the hitchhiker around as he yells at him. I told you to stay away from that graveyard. I heard it on the damn news, you fool. Half wit. (laughs) (laughs) So back to the house we go, and we can only imagine what kind of hell Sally is in store for. No matter how you slice it, it's not gonna be good. You see what I did there? Gunner, Gunner Hansen. Look what your brother did to the door! (laughs) (laughs) You may be a mentally challenged cannibal killer, but you should always respect your home. We can't operate business at a home with no door, Leatherface. Come on. (laughs) We see the hitchhiker tie Sally to a literal, and I mean literal, armchair. And there's this nice moment where he unmasks her and they recognize each other. I thought you was in a hurry. (laughs) We also see the cook threatening Leatherface, who is now wearing his old lady mask and costume. It's another fascinating aspect of this film, having the killer have multiple wardrobe changes. (laughs) Right. The cook is questioning him on the whereabouts of the other kids, making sure that none of the others got away. But the cook was going to beat Leatherface... Regardless, though, because he just uses the front door as the excuse to wail on him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, I love when Leatherface is like, you know, I killed them all. Like, I got them all, I'm sure. And then the cook is like, damn, I really wanted to beat your ass. What can I blame you for? Oh, the door. (laughs) (laughs) You you damn fool. You ruined the door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. The hitchhiker goes to fetch Grandpa as the cook tries to calm Sally, who is rightfully losing her mind in this house of horrors. And it's hard to calm her down with Leatherface just wandering around in the background. He's like, get back in there. (laughs) So once Leatherface and the hitchhiker get Grandpa downstairs, we're treated to this shocking bit of bloody finger suckling. It's here where we see that Grandpa isn't just a corpsicle, but he's actually alive. Must be the diet. I like to call his uh, moves as he's sucking on Sally's finger, the Grandpa Shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) He's moving his arms and legs delightfully. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's great. He's getting that nourishment like a baby. My, my. (laughs) (laughs) Watching Grandpa get this nourishment from her finger causes Sally to pass out. And when she wakes up, it's time for the dinner scene, Danny. And I mean, what more can be said about this scene? It's simply an untouchable and iconic moment in horror movie history. It's one of the most batshit crazy scenes you're ever likely to see. And there's a lot of crazy shit out there, let me tell you. I'm sure most of our listeners know. And I'm sure most of them would agree. This sits near the top. Yeah, this scene is just uh, amazing in every sense of the word. It's so well done. I love that it begins with Sally waking up and she realizes or rather remembers where she is and starts to scream. And then the hitchhiker and Leatherface just begin to howl and mimic her. (laughs) Yeah, I like too when the camera goes into focus, the first shot is like Grandpa's already crashed out at the end of the table. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And yeah, there's this great bit where the cook is like, shut up, 
But Leatherface gets carried away and keeps going. (laughs) I said quiet. Like, there's always that one person who doesn't shut up on time. Like the kid who got caught, you know? Right. We see that Leatherface is now wearing his formal attire also. He's got the formal wear. And the mask on his face has makeup on it now. I just wanted to say, when I was doing my notes... I paused the movie on a shot during the scene that was from Sally's point of view. And I just have to applaud this madness once more. (laughs) Because even looking at the freeze frame, I'm like, oh my god, could you imagine? Yeah, and there's just so much going on in this scene. It's such a work of art that you can just stop it at any point. And it's just like, there's a memorable frame right there, you know? It's just so crazy, so manic. It's uh. Yeah, it's beautiful. We see that the cook has the last bit of conscience left in this family. Though we see his mask of sanity is anything but stable at this point because he definitely cracks more than once. And there's some arguing about how he's just a cook. He talks about how I just You're just a cook. I just can't take any pleasure in killing. There's just some things you gotta do. Don't mean you gotta like it. We do all the work. You're just a cuck. (laughs) The hitchhiker and Leatherface torment Sally for a bit until the cook loses patience and tells them to get on with it. Did you hear me? I heard you, but it don't mean much. (laughs) (laughs) No sense in waiting. You think this is a party? (laughs) So the hitchhiker suggests letting Grandpa have a whack. Grandpa was the best killer there ever was. Only took him one whack. Killed 60 beeves in five minutes. They said it could have been more if the hook and pull gag could have got the beeves out of the way quicker. (laughs) (laughs) So we get this crazy bit where Grandpa is going to kill Sally like he would a cow in the slaughterhouse. And the hitchhiker holds her head down over this bucket as Leatherface helps Grandpa wield the hammer. And we see the cook cheering all this on from the background. But the act of holding the hammer in Grandpa's hand proves to be pretty challenging. Yeah, Leatherface is trying to help Grandpa and keeps putting the hammer in his hand, but it keeps falling down. And it even looks like Grandpa's frustrated, too. (laughs) He's like, I don't know. I just can't do it. (laughs) I don't think he even wants to be doing this. You know, he's like, oh, I think he wants to go take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we see Sally take a nasty blow to the back of the head that splits her open. But for the most part, Grandpa just drops the hammer. And eventually the hitchhiker loses his cool and goes for the hammer. But this gives Sally the briefest of moments to escape. And she takes full advantage of it. She jumps through another window in this house. And we're greeted by the light of dawn outside. And Sally is starting to become covered in blood. And we hear a chainsaw start up inside the house and the screen door kick open. And Sally takes off running as the hitchhiker gives chase, followed closely behind by Leatherface. Sally runs for her life as the hitchhiker catches up to her and begins to slash her with his knife. They struggle as Sally makes it to a main road and a semi comes barreling down the road as the hitchhiker continues to slash away at Sally. She manages to break free and get out of the way as the hitchhiker is just annihilated. (laughs) He takes this truck head on and is splattered. 
We even see him go under the wheels. Rest in peace. <laughs> no coming back from that. No amount of blood drinking can come back from being smushed and smashed into pieces. <laughs> He's not going to be in the sequel. <laughs> you think they got human barbecue in heaven? <laughs> I sure hope so. The semi comes to a stop. And I really love how this ending features unwitting participants. The story has been so self-contained, right? Right. We seemingly left the sane world behind quite a while ago, but here we have all this craziness spilling out into the world that had been none the wiser. You've got this truck driver probably just starting his day, and now he's involved in this shit. Sally and him climb into his truck as Leatherface pursues them both. They end up climbing out the other side, and the truck driver arms himself with a wrench. And as Leatherface chases them both, the trucker stops and throws a wrench and it hits Leatherface in the head, knocking him down. As he falls, the chainsaw drops down next to him and just cuts into his leg. I just love that Leatherface like, just gives a normal scream here. He's just like, ah, he's just horrified. <laughs> he's getting cut <laughs> in the leg. Yeah. Like, that's got to be painful and it looks nasty. Oh yeah, good shit. I like how the trucker just bails at this point. And runs for his life. <laughs> he's just like, fuck this. He's <laughs> running down the road. Sally forces another truck to screech to a halt as she stands in the middle of the road flagging them down. And it's just another dude on his morning drive who now too is involved in this crazy shit. Sally climbs into the bed of his truck as he attempts to restart his engine. And Leatherface limps closer and closer to Sally. But the truck starts and they get away just in time. And we see Leatherface begins whipping his chainsaw about in frustration as we see Sally in the truck, covered in blood, but celebratory. She laughs hysterically as she escapes. And the driver of the truck looks back like, what in the fuck just happened? <laughs> but this is Sally's story, more importantly. And while she will probably need years and years of therapy, she is triumphant and alive. We then see Leatherface flailing about in what can only be described as a chainsaw dance before we abruptly cut to black. And that's the end of our movie. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I love this ending here. I love how abrupt the film ends. I love that you can just tell on Sally's face that she is forever changed after the events she's just witnessed. It's great. It's a fantastic way to end a fantastic film. Awesome. Any more final thoughts? Like I said before, if there was one word to describe the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it would be unease. And it uses that unease to its full extent. It most definitely stands the test of time. It's still scary. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a pretty short and compact film. But still, it's one of the best horror films ever crafted. And I can't not love it. I just absolutely adore this film. Maybe not as much as you, Sean, but maybe one day I will. Awesome, man. Glad to hear it. Well, that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But before we get out of here, we're going to give you our favorite kill and favorite scene of the movie. So, Danny, did you find yourself a favorite kill? My favorite kill... I've got to go with Franklin because of all the jump scares in this film and all the kills, this is the one that just gets me every time. There's such a roar of noise as soon as we see Leatherface just plunge 
his chainsaw into Franklin. And I think above anything else, it just solidifies that nobody in this group is safe. Not even the wheelchair-bound Franklin, who you've probably been feeling sorry for this whole film. And it really assured you that there was going to be no happy ending. And I love it for that. Awesome, man. Great kill. And you know, as much as I want to choose Franklin, seeing as it's the one and only chainsaw kill in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it just isn't my favorite kill. My favorite kill goes to Kirk. The way he stumbles upon Leatherface and we get this grandiose first look at him, it's nothing short of incredible. Then Kirk takes that whack from the hammer and falls. We see him just twitching out. Of all the bits in the film that correlate with the slaughter of cattle, this one is definitely the most effective, and you spoke to that earlier. And then we see Leatherface drag Kirk's limp body in and slam that metal door shut. And there's that great musical sting that delivers a punctuation like no other. It's haunting. And it just sends chills up the spine. I I just love it. Hey, man, I almost went with Kirk's uh, death, too. It's really good. And I would have said all the things you just said. Cool. Solid kills throughout, let's just say. Not a bad kill sequence in the movie. So how about a favorite scene, Danny? As we touched on earlier, we all know the dinner scene is one of the best scenes in horror history. You don't need us to tell you that. But my personal favorite scene, for some reason, it's always stuck with me. I don't know why, but I've got to go with when they pick up the hitchhiker. There's just something about this scene in particular that just stuck with me. I think the hitchhiker as a character is kind of underrated, but I do think he's like perfectly utilized in this film. And he's just so eerie, and he makes the group so uncomfortable, and you see it on their face how uncomfortable the whole group is becoming watching this maniacal man laugh and cut himself. <laughs> But it also works both ways and in a meta way, too, because we are, as the audience, getting just uncomfortable. And from that moment on, from when the hitchhiker is picked up, we know whatever we're watching is going to get worse. And we know evil is in this movie and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And I think it just signifies what the whole movie is about, what Texas Chainsaw Massacre is about. It's just about evil, and it's like there's nothing you can do to stop it. And I love it. I think it's great. Excellent, excellent choice. I gotta say, I'm a bit surprised, but I really applaud that choice because that is a great scene. And well said. So, Sean, give it to me. After all the views you've given this movie, what is your favorite scene? Oh, man. There are very few movies in the world that I consider to be perfect films. But there are a few out there that I recognize as such. I'll give Jaws as an example. I would call Jaws a perfect film. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another film that I'm going to call perfect. There isn't a single decision in the creation of this film that I would second guess or reconsider. I also think it's hard to argue against the dinner scene as being the best scene in the movie, but this isn't best scene or perfect scene. It's favorite scene. And my favorite scene is the whole sequence where Kirk and Pam go to the house and get killed. By the time Sally is alone with the family, we are through 
the proverbial looking glass, so to speak, in a truly morbid wonderland. There's a convergence of mundane normalcy and complete lunacy that takes place here. Eventually, the lunacy just dominates and completely takes over. I'm just a huge fan of the part in this film where the normal unknowingly encroaches upon the insane. So that's why I just love this whole sequence. Plus, there's something to be said about encountering all of this shit first. We talked a bit last week about desensitization, and I think you can experience a bit of it just within the course of watching this film. There's only so much bizarre and deranged shit you can take before you just say fuck it and roll with it. Kirk's death, the suspense with Pam, that unbelievably beautiful tracking shot, Pam in the bone zone, all that shit. The bit where Pam manages to get out of the house and we see Leatherface in the outside and see that costume in all its glory. The meat hook. Need I say more? <laughs> no, that's an excellent choice. Uh, yeah, I love that whole sequence too. I mean, it is really hard to pick a favorite scene in a film that is just filled with excellent scenes that are just so effective on many different levels, but... No, I think you said it really well. Uh, I think that's a great choice. Cool. Yeah, it's just my favorite part of the movie, and I never tire of it. And with that said, I hope you never tire of listening to Fraternity and going through these movies along with us. So thank you so much to everyone who's listening to us right now. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Whatever you do, we love you for it. Thank you to everyone. Thank you specifically listening right now. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.